Ron Ananian. I'm amazed at you know how the mileage on the cars is going up and up and up, right? Car, yeah, because cars are lasting longer. Maybe car companies are going to have to start to make parts available longer. Oh, ho, ho, it's me. Car doctor, you take your finger, take your index finger, and hold it down tightly in the bottom left corner of the screen. There's no button, there's no mark there. You hold your finger down on the bottom left corner of the navigation screen for 15 to 30 seconds, and magically another screen pops up. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... When the hocus pocus, you're in focus. It's your lucky day. Here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Andy, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. More information about us at cardoctorshow.com. And, of course, we're out on Facebook, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. I should point out that, and I could talk about that as we kick off this hour of the Car Doctor. Um, thanks for stopping by and joining us today. We know you've got a lot of choices. We're glad to have you here with us. If you've got a car and it's got a problem, we're, we're here to talk to you about it. That's what this radio show is. Of course, there's podcasting at cardoctorshow.com and things like that. And, you know, a lot of you do podcast us. But um, in any way, shape, or form, however you communicate with us, we're glad to help you solve your car's problems. Had a 2011 Ford Edge come into the shop this week. It was a um, uh, came in from another shop. They were doing a computer, and they needed somebody to flash the computer. And as always, I said, you know, I need some keys. We're going to have to probably reflash, uh, relearn the key system uh, once we you know swap out the PCM and and you know do the programming. Programming is where you you know you put a new computer in, take the old computer, throw it out, or exchange it, and. You have to put software in it. It needs an operating system, just like your desktop computer, Windows 7, Windows 10, etc. So I did the, the um, you know, PCM swap and updated the software. And, of course, the car wouldn't start because now it didn't recognize the keys. There were no keys in the system. And, you know, I was always taught that when you do a reman computer and uh, a replacement computer, uh, you know, do, a, do an ignition key code erasure. So you go in with the Ford IDS, the factory scan tool, and you have to wait 10 minutes to get security access, and you go through that, and um, it, it gains access, figuring if you're a thief, you're not sticking around for 600 seconds to try and steal the car. Of course, I don't know anybody would want to steal a seven-year-old edge, but regardless, um, you know, and you get to the screen where erase ignition key codes. Okay, so we erase the ignition key codes. Things were going pretty good up to this point, and then... The car stopped communicating with the scan tool. All of a sudden it went, and that was it. Now, you have to understand what happened there. When the car lost communication with the scan tool, I now have to start all over. And I still had to learn the key code into the system. I had to do a parameter reset, key code relearn, whichever method we're going to do, in order to get the car to run on a regular basis. Here's the rub, all right? You can't, well... To do, a, to do a reflash, what do you have to do? You have to turn the key on, right? If the key codes aren't learned, and this is a smart button car, the car won't turn on because it doesn't know if the guy pushing the button is, you know, somebody that owns it or somebody that's trying to steal it. 
So you can't turn the ignition on to program the key codes that you just erased because the car hiccuped. So now you've got to find a workaround. Well, evidently there aren't too many workarounds, although I did find one. After about 15, 20 minutes of reading, I came across some conversation where they talked about the body computer. You can gain access to the body computer, do a parameter reset there, and then once you do that, back your way in and do a, do a reset on the PCM. Well, long story short, in order to do all this, you have to take the key, the smart fob, and Fords have a placeholder. Um, in, in this particular case, it was in the center console glove compartment. So I, you know, and they're always in a different place. It's like the engineer says, well, good, now that they know where it is, let's move it. You know, we're going to, why put it back, why, why make a Z, why feed, you know, let's make them miserable. So, you know, I'm looking in the center console glove compartment, and I'm saying, okay, let's see, there's a registration, there's nothing under the rubber mat, there's gum in the gum holder, there's some change in the change pocket. Wait a minute gum in the gum holder when the hell did Ford put gum holders in their consoles and I look I get a flashlight and I look because it kind of goes underneath it's hard to the customer had put some Wrigley's juicy fruit where the key goes that was the gum holder I guess I mean they were organized took the gum out of the gum holder and I was able to go through and relearn and the point becomes the fragility of all this. You know, look at where the problem is here. Some engineer, you know, and they, they, they put it in a different spot on just about every model year and on, sometimes on different cars. Why can't we come up with a nice standard location for it? Why can't we put all the modules under the dashboard and, and, and make the place for the key, the, the glove compartment, at least it'll all be in the same spot, put on the top left side, not the, and it is actually, I can't fault the customer because it looked natural to me. It looked like a gum holder. It looked like a place you'd put candy. It's this long, and it just slid in. And Cars are getting very technical. And the ability to upkeep, not just from an expertise and a training point of view, but information and parts and serviceability. We are, and we're knocking on the door. You can feel it. You can hear it. We're knocking on the door of throwing that car away. It's coming because it's not going to. You're not going to have the time to fix it. And I don't know if it'll happen in the next five years, ten years, twenty years, my lifetime. I think it will, but it's going to be very interesting to see where the next five to seven years take the automobile industry because the automobile industry is such a big part of our economy. Um, I was at the deli real quick, and then we'll open up the garage doors. I was at the deli three, four days ago getting breakfast in the morning, and, you know, you're, it's like everywhere else, right? There's a deli, and they're, they're, they're playing the, the cable commercials. And the local Nissan dealer is advertising a Nissan Sentra for $79 a month on lease. Why would you buy a car? Why would you want to own a car? 79 bucks a month. You know, just drive it for $80 a month, drive it, beat the heck out of it, Turn it in three years. Every every month you got an eighty dollar a month car payment. You don't care what happens to it. It could blow up, break, roll over. It doesn't matter. It's of course I, I doubt that they go out the door for eighty dollars. I you know, besides it's a Nissan. Um, you know that's no fifty five Chevy. Um, so but just just point of contention. So anyway, let's uh, let's kick the garage doors open. Let's go over to Brent in Iowa, ninety nine Dodge Intrepid. Brent, this car's too old. It's got to go. 
the old car police are going to come and get you. That's what I'm thinking here, Ron, is the way you make it sound, it's already disposable. Well, you know what, It's it's, and I'm not for it, I'm just saying, and it, a lot of this is out of the control of the technician, man, it's, you know, they're just, they just don't make parts available. So what do you got? What's going on with this Dodge Intrepid? 99, right? Yep, it's an ES, and it has automatic temperature control, ATC on the inside of it. Right, yep. And when I was driving down the road this summer, it automatically just started blowing out heat during the middle of the summer out the out the defrost and out the floorboard. So I drove it home, and I, I took off the battery cables and pulled the fuses out, just thinking that I would have to reset the computer in there some way or another, that it just kind of went bad. When I turned it all back on, then I had air conditioning blowing out the vent. It was during the summer, so I was good to go. Come winter now, and I needed the defrost, I went to go hit the defrost button, and it doesn't switch. It doesn't go to either one. It, it just stays blowing out. And, like, the temperature just doesn't get as hot as as cold as what it was before. And so I pressed, you have to press, like, the down defrost button, the panel button, and the, the floor button all at the same time. And right. it makes it go to a self-diagnosis. Yeah, it's well, like it playing, it's like playing Twister with your dashboard. Yeah. So, yeah, yep. I'm sorry. It, and so it, it, it just stays. It, it doesn't go through the self-diagnosis? No, it sure doesn't. It just keeps, it just sits there and just keeps, you know. I left it on for five hours, and it, you know, just didn't do anything. It just kept flashing. Okay. And, it, you know, I've never fixed the problem. I mean, it, it sounds from my seat here like you've got a fault with the with the temp control head, which would not be uncommon. So, but now and, here's... And I, and, I, and, I looked, and I looked into that, and I got one of those through on the eBay, and it was a $100 part, you know, and somebody supposedly rebuilt it, and I put it in there, and it's the exact same scenario that okay. it still will not go to a self-diagnosis. Okay, did you did you happen to, well, yeah, now the problem is, is it the part, is it the rebuilt part, or is it the vehicle? So the, the, yeah. quest, the, the question I've got is, did you happen to get your hands on any reference material if vehicle will not go through self-test? No, I sure didn't. You know, all this literature is, you know, it's kind of hard to come by, and you have to you know, spend hours and hours and hours delving through, you know, other people's posts in order to try to get some kind of, you know, well, formulation let me, going. In. Let me let me make it easy for you. You got a pencil? Yep. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. Okay. <laughs> oh, trust me. I, I, I know this guy. He's pretty sharp. He'll he'll find information for you. Just send me an email, Brent. Um, give me the VIN. Okay. Give me the 17-digit VIN and reference our phone call here. And I'm sure I'll okay. I'll dive into all data when I'm back in the shop on Monday. Uh, you know, all data's got okay. a great all data's got a great reference library, and they've got great solid information, and they'll keep something going back that far for certain. And if anybody will have it, they will, and I'll I'll sit down and I'll I'll see what all data has, and I'm sure they won't mind if I email you one or two pieces of information and uh, help move your day along, and at least then maybe we can get you pointed in the right direction. All right, brother. Okay. Yep, I was I, uh, not get off the phone, but I was kind of thinking that it was the the body control module because it could be, you know. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, how how do you get those flashed if if your mechanic won't won't do that for you? Well, the issue is, it's not that he won't; he probably can't. He needs a Star Mobile scan, very old piece of Chrysler diagnostic equipment. Chrysler, I got to tell you, okay. you know, when uh, two hundred years from now, when they look up failed companies of the of, of the twentieth and the twenty first century, 
Chrysler's going to be at the top of the list because when it comes to shooting yourself in the foot in terms of making the product available and, and user-friendly and technician-friendly and, like, you know, people actually want to, A, drive them and, B, work on them, Chrysler's going to be right at the top of the list as a company that, that just failed that, that objective. You know, right now, for a shop to be Chrysler dealer-level friendly, same scan tool as the dealer, it's somewhere around 3600 bucks for the initial tool, and it's seventeen or $1,800 a year for licensing. It's it's so cost prohibitive that that makes sense. Yeah, I listen. I was reading an article the other day, and I'm kind of curious to see what happens. So, beginning in model year 2018, and I could be wrong as of this conversation, but my understanding is beginning in model year 2018, there's no scan tool on the market, no scan tool on the market other than dealer level that will access a 2018 Chrysler because of the security restrictions put in place by the government, all right? If you if you go to YouTube and search um, Jeep Grand Cherokee self-driving, it's the one where the guys took over the Jeep and, you know, made it drive like it was supposed to. Well, that created the, the stir in the government. They made Chrysler put some security uh, functionality in their, in their car, so it's controlled. It can't be controlled from the outside, and now it's affecting the scan tool business. Chrysler's not mechanic-friendly much less consumer friendly. Send me an email and let's uh, let's see what I can get you some okay, information. Okay. We'll go from there. All right, Brent, you take good care. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. We're back right after this. It's the Hey, welcome back. He drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Now it's my turn. Boy, that Tom, he's always trying to hog the microphone. Did you notice that? I don't know. Tom, is it my turn? Can I talk? Okay, good. Tom gave me permission, folks. Let's go over and talk to Glenn in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, 12 Acura. Yes, Glenn, what can I do for you? Hey, Ron, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, sir. What's going on? A uh, question on the um, 2012 versus the uh, 2013 or uh, 2014 RDX. The the earlier model has the four-cylinder turbo, and then they switched over to the six-cylinder. Right. And I just wanted to get your opinion on the reliability. You know, can that four-cylinder turbo, you know, go the distance if you maintain, or, or is it just better to get the um, the six? I think, and I think if, I think this in general on a lot of vehicles, all right? I don't think it's just the Acura, but I, I think the V6 is probably my choice versus the turbo anything, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, all right, if, if I have the choice. Now, I, you know, yeah, I get it. The, the, the turbo is going to have a better fuel economy, likely, um, and it's got a little bit more power, a little more oomph than the V6. But I always think in terms of longevity, and I also think in terms of how am I keeping the car. If I'm leasing it and I'm driving the car three, four years, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it blows up. It's under warranty, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, nobody's interested in maintaining a leased car. They're just not, uh, which, you know, is my second question. Where where did this car come from, this this, this 12 Acura, this 13 Acura? Are they coming off lease, you know, and do you have do you have maintenance records? And I don't mean maintenance records like, you know, the dealer shows you where the book says, yeah, we, we change the oil every five or eight or 10,000 miles. I want to see real maintenance records that somebody had a hand in this and, you know, was making more than just, you know, buy the book engineering decisions on when to change oil and how to maintain it, um, if that makes any sense to you. I, sure. I, I like the idea of the V6 versus the turbo also because on the, on the turbo, you know, that turbo gets 120, 130, 140,000 miles on it. As you said, the distance, you know, 
at 140 on the four-cylinder turbo and 140 on that V6, guess what? The V6 doesn't have a turbo to break. The V6 doesn't have to go through the, the extra expense of added maintenance because of that turbo, which, in my opinion, has to be performed. All cars today are very, from what I'm seeing, very maintenance-centric. There's a, there's a high requirement for maintenance, but I, I, I just don't get what the turbo adds. You know, it's 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 if you've got an extreme purpose, if you know you're gonna you're gonna really stay on top of it. But in order to really stay on top of the maintenance, you had to buy it when it was new, right? Because yeah. anybody can show you a book and you know what was done. Um, you know, listen, I know I know some unscrupulous mechanics on both sides of the fence. They take great pride in showing me their bottom toolbox drawer with all these oil filters, air filters, cabin filters. Things that people paid for that never got changed that they're just trying to figure out what to do with. It happens. Wow. That's that's my industry, brother. Um, you know, they're not there's 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 deception all over the place, and it's not just mechanics. It's life today. It's been that way for a long time. But I I'm a very hands-on guy. I'm a very you know I have I have a little OCD, and I admit it. You know, I want to I want to see it. Um, but I think that's what you guys love about me. I think that's what you know. I think that's what kind of made me what I am. That that I'm always you know looking at the next step. Why is that like that? Why is that doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So if I have a choice, I'm going to take the V6. Uh, the okay. other the other thing I'm also going to take is I'm always going to take I'm always going to take mileage and year. Um, I'm always going to I'm always going to I'm generally going to vote for mileage. If I've got a, if I've got a 14 with 100,000 miles on it and a 12. Or a thirteen with fifty thousand miles on it, I'm probably going to take the twelve if they're if the cars are identical. Otherwise, you know, less less mileage is always a good thing. So okay, you know, it, actually, it's, I, yeah. I, thought, I I thought you were going to say the reverse because I've heard you say you know you can have a high mileage car and a low mileage car and a low mileage car just because it's older, it's fat, so it aged anyway. Yeah, like I said, it depends on condition. You know, it's it's I guess the best way to leave that is. You got to look at it both cases, have a mechanic go through both, and and weigh out all the pros and cons. So but there's there's good and bad in both of those. All right, kiddo, call me back. Let me know what you decide. I'm running into the car doctor. We are back right after this. The car doctor. Let's get over and talk to. Let's go to Alex in Delaware, 07 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Alex, what do you got? Yeah, I, I was coming back on a four hour trip and the uh, idiot light came on for the oil. So I got off the next exit and got an oil change. Get back on the highway and a little bit down the road, the oil light comes on again. When, when, so, when, you, when, when you say oil light, Alex, you mean the red dash light, correct? Yeah, the little oil can on the right. dash. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I tried uh, YouTube to uh, see what they had to say, and uh, the menu step reset buttons didn't seem to address it. Um, well, and then they said to if step it's a, on the gas three times. Well, no, 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 time. If this is if this is a red light on the dashboard, it looks like the genie in the can. Looks like the little genie, the little yeah. genie icon. All right. This mm-hmm. is this is you know that's the warning light. If you look in the owner's manual, that should tell you that that's the warning light for low oil pressure. 
So, so now the question becomes: Is it really low oil pressure, or is it a, is it a is it a faulty sending unit wiring or instrument cluster? So, let me ask you the hard question: The engine's running. You, the light came on. How much further did you have till you got home? An hour. Okay, so you drove the car an hour with the oil pressure light on, right? Right. So we know it's not oil pressure. The car won't run an hour with no right. oil pressure, right? Fair assumption, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 no excess noises coming from the engine. It sounds normal like it did. Right. Okay. Then nothing wrong. Nothing else wrong. Then you know what the mechanic needs to the the ideally ideally. You know, what we want to do is we want to put a mechanical gauge in there and check oil pressure. We should see four or five pounds at idle and at 3,000 RPM, somewhere between 25 and 100 PSI. But I, I think you've already got that, all right? Um, mm-hmm. the, ne- the next thing we're going to do is let's hook up a scan tool. We should be able to look at the oil pressure sending unit on a scan tool, and we should see the voltage change. We should see the voltage, you know, start at around half a volt. Well, we don't know that. It, it would be, it would be, it's going to be high is the problem, all right? Disconnect, disconnect the sending unit, and the, the the voltage on the scan tool should go to around four and a half, five volts. If it does, it shows the circuit is working and the harness is good, and then you know you should see between five and twelve volts on the signal line going to the sender, the violet gray. If that all checks good, it's a bad sender. Very common. Make sure when you bu- uh, make okay. sure make sure when you buy a sending unit, you get one from Chrysler. All right. Okay. So, uh, so um, after an oil change, is this like something that would occur, or was it just well, that no, time for you, this? Well, maybe I misunderstood you. You said you were driving. The light came on. You got an oil change, and the light was still on. Correct. Right. Well, if 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 the light was on, the the same red light was on before and after the oil change. Right. What makes you think that's telling you that it's time for an oil change? It's got nothing to do with it. What was the? What well, was the, I'm on the highway and uh, haven't done a change in a while. I I figured it it might be due, and I had neglected it too long. Right. Well, so I guess the question comes back to how long it had been since you changed the oil. Well, I bought the car two years ago, so it was. I don't like where this was is done going. then. Okay, so it's been two. So it's been two years since you changed the oil. Right. And how many miles is that? Um, probably about fifteen thousand. I don't okay. really drive it that much. So hopefully there was oil in it. I'll tell you what, brother. I would definitely get that car into a mechanic. I would have him check mechanical oil pressure. I would have him do an oil analysis. I'd probably be changing that oil again in a thousand miles, and stay on top of it because the way you're going, you won't have to worry about the oil light. I'm not being a wise guy. You're going to be putting an engine in that car. Um, the four seven, those that year generation Jeep, doesn't hold up well to abusive oil changes, and that's what you're doing to it. Got to change the oil on a regular basis. Do that if you have any questions. Call me back. Let's get over to Rob in Tennessee, 99 Explorer P0443. Robert, where do we stand with this car? You done any more diagnosis to it? Yeah, I did what you uh, recommended. Uh, the, I checked the red wire uh, with a key on uh, engine off. It has like 11.6 volts. Right, so it's got battery, also, it's got battery also, voltage. Yep. Yeah, I also, also checked the battery, 11.6. Right. Uh, and then the green wire with a black trace. Uh, 
I unplugged the PCM and uh, checked the continuity from pin 56 back to the plug, and it, it looks good, and checked it with an ohmmeter. Right. And then, and then and before I go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and then, and then what? Then you went after the canister purge. Did you try grounding that light green black at the PCM? And and does it click? Does it make any noise? Did you look at amperage draw? No. Before I spoke with you, I had unplugged the uh, 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 line at the, the vapor management valve and hooked a voltmeter to it and right. started the vehicle. And it was uh, had like six volts, and it would cycle up to thirteen, and then it would step back down to six, back to thirteen. So it sure sounds like it's trying to apply it, and it sure sounds like it's applying. What it's doing is the PCM is looking at voltage and amperage drop or draw on that line to decide if, if, if you know, it tells the canister purge to purge, and it, it, it decides by looking at voltage readings whether or not it's actually happening. So the question here is, the question here is, is it the PCM or is it the purge valve? Canister purges under the battery tray. Do you happen to look at that? Yes, but uh, I had I, before I spoke with you, I'd removed the old one and applied 12 volts to it, and I thought I should be able to hear the solenoid clicking in it, but it was completely silent. So I replaced it with a new one okay. before I spoke with you. Right. So it has a it has a new one on it. Also, during this time when that code said, I don't know if it has anything to do with this or not, but uh, I'm only able to fill the gas tank like three fourths now. Uh, of course, it could be the gas gauge, but it seemed like when this cold set, I was only it would only show three fourths full when I filled the gas tank. Yeah, and I don't I don't see a connection between filling the tank and this fault because this fault has to do with the PCM deciding whether there's an electrical control fault of the canister purge solenoid. So you know, and I don't I don't see it opening up purge in order to fill the tank. It it might open up the vent so it releases pressure. Um, you know, you, something, yeah. well, I was going to say, you, you may want to pull the vent line off at the rear and go fill it up and see if that helps. Does that allow you to fill it up? Which, or do we have an obstruction in the fill neck or do we have an obstruction in the tank? Uh, could the, could the vapor canister be bad or something causing this code? It's, 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 it's like, it's no flow into this, uh, well, uh, vapor it does it know that? It shouldn't, it shouldn't see it on a 443. What it's okay. doing is um, it's looking at fuel tank pressure sensor to decide if the system's going into a vacuum or pressure state, but there are other codes for that. Right. So, so, you know, let's, let's try attacking this from what do we know that's good? Why can't we fill the gas tank? If you take the vent off at the tank and you still can't fill the tank, then either the vent at the tank is clogged, right? Yes. Or we've got some sort of an obstruction in the fill neck. Uh, does that vent valve on the tank? It's electrically operated, isn't it? Or does it just have a vent going? It's a, it's it's not. It's electrically operated. They have to electrically. They have to electronically control it because they've got to be able okay. to close the vent at, at proper times. Oh, okay. So let's see what removing the vent does for us, and then call me back next week. Oh, okay. All right, All right. sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. Stay in touch. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Little GTO, you really look in Three deuces and a four-speed and a 389. 
need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO, Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. John, Maryland, 15 Toyota Tacoma. How can I help, sir? Hey, Ron. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, sir. So, uh, 2015 Tacoma, and I just noticed recently a sound. On, it's only above 60 miles an hour, where if I take my foot completely off the gas, there's this little, almost sounds like rubbing sound for one or two seconds, and then when I reapply the gas, it's the same sound. Again, only for one or two seconds. And it, the rest of the time, it's fine. If I am accelerating and hit it a little harder, no sound. Or if I decelerate, no sound. It's only coming totally on or totally off. Front, the of, the, front of the vehicle, rear of the vehicle? It sounds to be from the front. From the front. So why can't this just be normal underhood engine noise? Have you changed the air intake system at all? I haven't. The truck the truck is new is kinda of, I've had it for less than a year. Right. And I never noticed the sound before. And that's kinda of one of the reasons I would I called too to see if perhaps it is just a normal sound. You know, it might be. There's a lot of resonance under the hood of these vehicles today. You know, uh-huh. sometimes, and I'm not saying yours does or doesn't, but, you know, you start to look at some of these cars, they'll have plastic under the hood bonnets that sit over the top of the engines and certain ducting, and all that stuff's there for a reason. I would just tell you to look at yours. If Does anything look like it's missing? Does anything look like it's out of place? Chances are it's right. not, but, you know, just something to be aware of. Second question, any dashboard warning lights on? Not a one. Nope. So, you know, if, if, if there's one thing that's real critical to a modern engine, it's airflow. And trust me, if there was a fault, a vacuum leak, something coming in from the wrong angle, uh, believe right. me, they'd have a check engine light on uh, three days ago to to warn <laughs> you, to, you know, to make you aware. Um, right. You know, yeah, so that's yeah, too. it's it's it's. I'm I'm going to say it's it's likely a normal sound. Have you had it serviced recently, where somebody might have had the air filter or the air intake box off? Apart? Uh, the last service was three or four months ago, and I'm taking it in this week for uh, oil change and just general service. Because okay. maybe something's just not sitting right, and that could be it as well. Right, right, right. So, All right? Awesome. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. Have a good rest of the day. Let's go over to Phil in Vermont. Phil, 11 GMC. What's going on here? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Um, long-time listener. Thank you. Hey, um, this is a 2000... Uh, 11 GMC 2500. It's only got 33,000 miles on it. And today, I had to go to the building supply place, and I hopped in it and I took it out of park. And the the little needle thing didn't tell me what gear I was in. So, it, does it show reverse neutral? It just doesn't show you drive. No, it doesn't. It doesn't move out of the park. Okay. So, you know, do we have a mechanical failure or an electronic failure of the cluster? And I'm I'm being hypothetical here. Or do we have something else deeper going on? First thing I would do is I would plug in a scan tool. A, do I have any fault codes? And not for any other reason, just to say that I did it. But, you know, inside a scan tool that's going to look go by year, make, model, if I go under transmission, it's going to show me an electronic Prindle, park, reverse, drive, neutral, etc. Um, you know, if the trans shows, if the trans is in park and the scan tool shows park, and then I put it in reverse and the, and the scan tool shows reverse, that tells me that the signal from the trans to shift is correct. All right? Mm-hmm. Th- that tells me that my fault is likely somewhere else. Then I would look to see, do I have a BCM or an IPC 
module, instrument panel, cluster, or body computer. And again, same thing, if they give me those PIDs. What we're trying to do is we're trying to use the scan tool to decide, is the signal coming out of the switch correct such that it's feeding the scan tool, or is the fault somewhere else such that it's not the switch, it's the where it's going, it's the cluster. And well, that, the other, Go ahead. The other weird thing was... When I went to buckle my seatbelt, the the light on the dash didn't go out when I buckled up. Okay, then then let's do let's do this. All right, take it to your mechanic, ask for a complete system or module scan. Let's look at all the modules. There's a lot of people on the on on the data line on this bus. All right, do we have any fault codes? Do we have any communication issues? All right, and if we do, if we don't, then let's. Do what I said. Let's go through scan tool, and are are the modules signaling correctly to the cluster to go from park, reverse, neutral, drive, etc. And then if okay. that checks out, yeah, okay, it's 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 getting proper signal. Then let's go through powers, grounds, and fuse circuits for the instrument cluster. Did we somehow blow a fuse for some reason? And then we can. Well, go it seemed like when I hopped out of it when I first got here because I'm working on an apartment house, right. and I let. I, I got out and I thought I smelled something hot, but I couldn't well, tell. So yeah, let's 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 be sure. So let's go and see if if a fuse is possibly blown, and if so, is it related to the smell? Is something shorted somewhere? But those three steps would be logical to me as the first steps to take. Thanks for the call eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Hey, morning, the car doctor here. Let's. Uh, do a quick piece of well i want to do this okay we're gonna do a segue here watch this this is radio hi ron and anian so hitting a pothole with your car can do a real number on tires wheels steering and suspension according to the car care council and they urge motorists to watch for the three warning signs loss of control swaying when making turns pulling in one direction instead of maintaining a straight path uneven tire wear and low tire pressure bulges or blisters on the sidewalls if you've hit a pothole it can be difficult to know if and to what extent your car has been damaged said rich white Executive Director of the Car Care Council, more at carcare.org. And you know what? Rich is absolutely 100% right. From Janice. Janice writes in, hey, Ron, I've got a Jeep. It's slightly jacked up. It had the death wobble that was taken care of. I had hit some potholes. That Rich White, he was right. There we go, right? Now it feels like it's pulling on the road. I want to know if changing the tires and rims to something smaller would help make it more friendly. Your thoughts? I'll tell you what, Janice, what you've got to do, listen, the Car Care Council is 100% right. Potholes can wreak havoc on suspension and tires, and it's a lot of unknown. You don't know what's laying beneath the surface, so to speak. So, obviously, a good look at suspension, a good look at steering. Everything's tight. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. No broken springs, front or back. A vehicle that pulls can have a problem in the rear axle, creating that pull, creating that problem. All right? So, let's do that. What if we rotate the tires? What if we take the left front, move it to the right front, swap them side to side? Does that change the direction of the pull or the wander? And then, yes, perhaps changing to smaller tires will give you a better ride. And don't forget to check the alignment. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.